Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity, and I'm your host, Gary Turner. I'm also the founder of HexoChange, and HexoChange is a transformational change practice dedicated to helping you connect to yourself, to others, and to systems at large in a more meaningful way, thus helping us turn around our workplace and planetary challenges and accelerating how alive we all feel in every aspect of our lives. This track is called Kaleidoscope and was created for me personally and for HexoChange by Peter Griffiths, one half of the amazing Mind Takeaway. I hope you enjoy this exploration and please do share it on your social platforms so we can bring more humanity to more people. Hope to speak to you soon. Hi there, thanks for joining us today for this next round of Truly Human Conversations. And I'm really excited to introduce you to three truly incredible human beings. And I'm doing an, int uh, an introduction for the first time uh, for one of our Truly Human Conversations because this was one of the most incredibly energetic in the moment flows uh, that I've experienced as part of the Truly Human Conversation so far. It's just one of those moments where we just dive right into a, an open discussion um, without any framing and without any rounds. And we just went with the flow, quite literally. But I'd like you to know a bit more about each of these three incredible human beings before you hear us go into the, uh, the open flow today. So Elizabeth Lembeck is the Chief Talent Navigator at Transforming Talent, a, gl a globally and virtually active consultancy specializing in people and culture solutions. She has 15 years experience in strategic and hands-on human resources, a background in work, pedagogical and cultural psychology, and is a certified systemic coach. Her work has been honored with multiple innovation awards deemed a Franklin Covey benchmark and led the highest increase in engage employee engagement ever measured at Aon Hewitt. Prior to her consultancy work, Elizabeth was a global director of HR talent and learning for Borg Warner, leading the talent charge for 7,000 employees across 11 countries and through five major M&A integrations. Also, I'd love to introduce you to Eric J. Henderson, who integrates over 20 years experience in business, writing and fine art photography. He has built brand and communications platforms for world leading private and social sector firms, including such entities as GE Capital, Citigroup, the Aspen Institute, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Fashion Brand, Kramer and Stout, Living Cities, the Management Leadership for Tomorrow, and the NBA Foundation, the charitable arm of the National of NBA Players. He's editor and author of Making Sense of Data and Information in the Social Sector, a publication cited by the Federal Reserve Bank. As a business and culture writer, his essays have appeared in AdAge, Stanford Social Innovation Review, and the academic journal Callaloo, amongst others. He has presented talks and papers at Oxford University and Emory University, and facilitated discussions on urbanization for over 3,000 visitors to the BB, BMW sorry, Guggenheim Lab. And finally, uh, Eric was kindly introduced to me by the wonderful Cordelia Gaffar. Cordelia did join previously Mike Bacanti on another human conversation, but you're going to learn even more and in a different format from her today. So Cordelia is the emotions opener transformation strategist, guiding leaders to use their darkest and most difficult emotions to show up powerfully. So far in 2020, Cordelia Gaffar has been inducted into the Global Library of Female Authors by Honor Miller, and her own book related to her Replenish Me process will be re released later this year.
She's also Best Podcast Host of 2019 and the Achi Magazine Volunteer of the Year and finalist for Top Influencer and Orator of the Year. She is best-selling co-author of America's Leading Ladies, Who Positively Impact the World, with Oprah Winfrey and seven, several dynamic women. Currently, she's studying to become a TIB practitioner and a coach in the Harlem Wellness Network. She's now also the official sponsor of She Phoenix, Femme Phoenix Limited in South Africa, to advocating for the girl child, teenage girls, young women rights to a better education, health and life, with a link to the sustainable, ability goal, sustainable development goals, sorry, or the global goals as they're also known, number one to end poverty, number four for education, and also for gender equality and women's empowerment. If those introductions don't give you a sense of where this incredibly rich, intentionally diverse and human conversation flows, I'm not sure what will. I'm your host, Gary Turner, I really hope that you enjoyed the discussion. I learned so much from these wonderful human beings and we'd love for you to share what comes up for you. And you can also find the Humans First conversations taking place every week, um, both uh, with the EMEA call on a Monday and a US Humans First Go call on a Friday. You can find all of the details at humansfirst.club. Enjoy the conversation and we hope to hear from you. Where have we go? Okay. This is the live one. Okay. Yeah. So this, this is the rabbit hole. Okay. The, the rabbit hole, Eric. I like that. I like that. Uh, interesting mm -hmm. things happen in the rabbit hole. It's not as dangerous when I saw the little girl fall in it and she's all running around being bossy and everything. I never saw the original movie. I just saw some reiteration of it uh, recently. Well, you know, she couldn't decide if she wanted to get bigger or if she wanted to get smaller, you know? Exactly. It's like someone puts a little vial in front of your face that says, eat me or drink me. What are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> we taught our girls better. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Literally, it's my first time seeing that. I was like, man, what a disappointment. I expected pure mayhem when you fall in a rabbit hole. I was like, this is going to be so, or a ride, you know, like an adventure. It was that, but not. You don't expect to be running. You got to read the book. So Lewis Carroll, you're, that's going to be the measurement. Like Disney, did you do it as well? The rabbit hole as was in the book. Yeah. I have well, pages and that's a spooky thing. In that book. <laughs> the book is kind of crazy, actually. Like my kids yes. all got scared when I read it yes. to them. They were like, can we watch the movie? And I'm like, I don't know if that's any better. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm with you, Cornelia. Like that guy was straight tripping. He must have been on acid for real. But wait, that was like so Gary, what really that, doing, that, right? That was yeah. yeah. That's real. That's real. Yeah. <laughs> the rabbit hole is open. Yeah. Well, for talking tripping, then I would say the 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 next level up is Fantasia. Like even as a kid, I'm like, what in the world is going on? I missed that one crap. <laughs> oh, like Cornelia said, we're we're dating ourselves. So this is what you can watch on the retro channel. <laughs> I watched Fantasia when I was a kid and I was like, please, I don't want to see this. I can't. I, it was just really, <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. Really bizarre. I'm only I dating my ignorance on that one. <laughs> Fantasia, I'm thinking the sing the singer. You know, I'm like, yeah, she can blow. Oh. That's hilarious. I'm thinking of Haribo like gummies. <laughs> He's a real. Yeah, you're the singer. Like, okay, like, see? Like, 
like you called uh, Dame Shirley, one of the original belter, you know. I'm just, you know, something. I've so not wanted to record a conversation as much. I've never not wanted to record a conversation as much. I just want to just keep going. It's like this is this is just like brilliant. It's priceless. But you know, this is. I mean, this is just us being us, and it's yeah. totally fine that we don't. You know, we're four people from you know four different backgrounds that can completely relate on the human level, like through popular media right yeah and you know uh, fantasia right is mm -hmm. someone's name and she what year did she win i don't know yeah but it was like probably 10 years ago now right so she won mm -hmm. what was the name of the show <laughs> look i don't know i didn't really watch that show anyway stupid with these questions <laughs> <laughs> and what is your name eric uh, <laughs> we just call him me yes but you gave me the answer <laughs> For an extra thousand dollars, what's your surname? <laughs> <laughs> but this is the way they mass manipulate, right? And mm -hmm. and uh, they indoctrinate us through this media, right? And these are things mm -hmm. that are supposed to be for kids. And the funny thing about this is, for like some months, I was actually reading Dr. Seuss. Mm -hmm. um, and you know that you're supposed to do Facebook lives and show your expertise. So I did. I read Dr. Seuss stories and I pulled out what it was teaching our kids and what we could still learn from mm. those stories as adults, right? So like, let's take um, Marco going down Mulberry Street, right? So he went down Mulberry Street walking to school every day and he was just like, man, I live in a small town, I see nothing, right? Let me just, mm. you know, make it really nice. But his dad was giving him a hard time for that and saying, look, don't come home with any crazy stories. And so, right? So what mm -hmm. is it? There's lesson number one right there. So he goes through the whole thing and he's like, he can't control it. He's a kid. Yeah. You know, we're born with big imaginations and vision yeah. and all those things, right? And so he came up with this fabulous story. And then he got to his house and his dad was like, so what did you see? on Mulberry Street, and he was like, a man pulling a wagon with a, a horse-drawn wagon, right? So what's, that's lesson number, well, that's the moral of the story, right? So we get squashed mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah. put into this little box and we can only say what's mm -hmm. accepted and expected, no matter how much we're full inside and how much we want to mm -hmm. share. Yep. And it's yeah. the questions that we ask that are also determinant of what people are willing to share because it's a, it's also going into that social space of what are they expecting of me? And if it's too far out of that, do I feel like that's something I can say? You know, and it's, I think it's interesting that you talk about Dr. Seuss, you know, I'm from Oregon. So like the Lorax is literally a banned book, you know, and it, it's really crazy. You know, you have a bunch of um, people who live off the timber industry, even though, you know, it's raping and pillaging, you know, our entire economy and, and their livelihood and poisoning the waters, et cetera, et cetera. I used to work at the World Forester Center. Um, you know, this, the, the, yeah, exactly. Couldn't tell. Um, so this whole piece about, but it's such a simple story and it's so very, very true. And it comes back to like that statement that they would say, you know, in that one song, you know, um, they they raised down the forest and put up a parking lot and put the trees into a museum 
you know, and so Dr. Seuss, I think, is a really good one to say, how do you break it down to what are those lessons in socialization that we teach? And how do we kind of challenge those paradigms of, you know, who we are and who we're allowing ourselves to be? Or are we self-editing because we, we want to belong so strongly? Which brings me to, well, go, go ahead, Eric. But I, I was no, going to no, say. I was agreeing. I didn't say anything. Okay. I'm agreeing like, wow. Because yeah. even Dr. Seuss has an answer for that. Like I, mm -hmm. I read the whole, all of his works. <laughs> I love it. So, <laughs> McGally got pools, so Marco's a little mm. bit older, and he's now fishing. And mm -hmm. this farmer comes by, and he's like, "No matter how long you sit there, you'll never catch anything in McGally Gut's pool." And now, this time, Marco was like, "I don't believe the hype. You know, I'm going to tell mm -hmm. you. Look, I might find, you know, different kinds of eels, different kind of seals, and all these whale fish and whatnot." And he really sticks to his guns. You know, and he's just like, you're wrong. I'm right. And I know if I sit here for two or three hours, I'm going to pull something out, right? So as much as we want to, right, uh, squash kids' uh, mm -hmm. imagination and purpose and everything, they grow up and we're all in this room. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Unsquashed. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or pulling away from what was squashing us and understanding having the the confidence to believe in our own competence and uh, uh, gary you that mm. this this uh arc reminds me of i think what i've seen in some of your posts which is just storytelling because cartoons have never been for kids when you mm -mm. look at bugs Bunny. yeah absolutely oh how do things move people say oh we need storytelling so let's put that on the past mm. 10 years where it became an explicit thing mm. so you can do all the policy you want to i'm working with a few arts groups now but it doesn't the, it, it will move something but not as much as the story so andrew fletcher scottish politician says okay in the 1800s you write the nation's laws i'll write the nation's music <laughs> and that's yeah. mm -hmm. that's all of it he said mm -hmm. i don't care who writes his laws let me write the music and that would we only move on stories, which is, mm. I, wonder, I wonder about Portland there, because I was talking to a group, uh, Portland moms, mm -hmm. and so the, I see 15 of them standing in a police line, one is pregnant, and yeah. I, I, spoke, I spoke to her, and I said, well, how, how, and she's standing for women's rights, and so you, when you want to enter a difficult conversation, I said, not trust. I put all the markers up. There's no snark here. There's no criticism. Mm. I say, walk me from how we get to George Floyd on the ground to, in Minnesota to women's rights and IEDs at, uh, in Portland. Just the fact. I know it's all mm -hmm. to say that, but a kid did throw a bomb. The women are fighting the police with a bit more freedom than I would be able to do because uh, uh, you wouldn't people are like, why are there no black people there? I'm like, do you, do you have you, you been to Portland? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm from Portland, you know, <laughs> but even the one black person there, we, yeah, exactly. you should not get the yeah. police. We know how that works mm -hmm. out. Yeah. So, yeah. I just wanted a, a rational discussion on show me how you get there. Mm. And, the, and the answer came back. Well, you're intelligent enough to know. I think that, you know, X about black people. I said, well, let's not talk about my intelligence. My, my mom mm -hmm. is happy with it either. But 
just show me how you got there. Yeah. I just, I think beyond all the race stuff we have, what Mm. we lack is the interlocutors. Yep. If you have a position so strong, then emotion doesn't lead. I've never heard anybody arguing over two plus two is four. A guy walks in the room, two and two is four. Or they say, your president is a clown. If the clown says, two and two is four, (laughs) you have to say, dang it, clown, you got a point. <laughs> I'm just going to be quiet here because I actually had that exact argument when when doing uh, Stephen Covey's, uh, you know, because when they're talking about synergy, they're talking about two and two can equal something else. And yeah. our president was an engineer, and he was so not having it, completely derailed the entire program, you know. <laughs> oh my but it is this piece of what literal. But I, I think you are absolutely right when we're talking about how are we standing up for rights and not taking you know, this is the wrong word, but bastardizing a movement to fit other movements to say this movement is valid and so important on its own. Mm -hmm. Why are we morphing it? Or, you know, if we are morphing it to say this is a broader, we're talking about humanity's rights and the disenfranchisement and how important it is to see one another and to, to not have federal policemen kidnapping people and throwing them into cars um, or vans to go to whereabouts unknown, it becomes very confusing. And I think that it is a a strange element of this kind of very intolerant approach. I mean, to question your intelligence is just, it's terrible. Um, (laughs) Just straight off terrible. To say this this weird kind of we're in a tolerant uh, worldview of our mind, but actually extremely intolerant to say, how are we even just kind of floating those ideas to say, how are we actually connecting it so that it makes sense? Because like you said, maybe it does. You're just having the conversation, you know, and and that's where we have to be able to explore in instead of feeling threatened or, you know, back to your point around that defensive position um, to say, how are we standing up for humanity, but not negating the real reason why we're doing it and how horrible it was with George Floyd and Brianne Taylor. And, you know, and it's so important to say, you know, this conversation about systemic racism has been such a long time coming and it's so important. And I think by the fact that we were all in the pandemic at home, I think maybe it got more coverage and, momentum that it's so desperately needed it's a horrible thing to say but i you know in terms of the the breadth of humanity saying what in the world you know there were protests here in stuttgart you know and i mean black lives matter is so important and to say this movement has been carrying the world it went way beyond than what perhaps uh, the original transgression was and i think you know, Blackout Tuesday was important. A lot of people around the world educated themselves more and more. So it's like, how can we tap into those things that are so important to say, just because you didn't know, doesn't mean that you cannot become more aware. Right. Totally. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) I so love what you you spoke to though, Eric, as well. And I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, I can be guilty as well jumping to an assumption with our brain that goes for the shortest distance between where we are and what we want to believe but what I've really learned the last sort of couple of months is that the ability to hold opposing views in each of your own hands Mm -hmm. and stare at both and go what am I thinking and sensing around them like that's hard 
mm-hmm. but it's the work. It's yeah? the work. Yeah, not, not to jump on either side yeah. and go, you're right or you're wrong. It's just like mm-hmm. exploration. Like, how, mm-hmm. why am I thinking and feeling that and that? Because it's always a paradox, yeah? It or, is. Mm-hmm. It's like, it um, it. okay, ahead, it was man. like I was in the um, friendship bench. I think it was called racial, uh, the racial divide. Where do we go from here? Mm-hmm. So in that conversation, we were in like 45 minute breakout rooms and a guy brought up this argument that I hate to hear about our reptilian brain, right? And then some other woman was talking about, you never heard that one. Mm. So then some woman was talking about uh, something spiritual, right? So the, the argument is always that we're in fight or flight and that comes back from when we were cavemen and that's our reptilian brain, whatever, and that's what drives us. However, there are female scientists um, who have actually done recent research in the 21st century and um, written a whole book about the molecules of emotions, which says that the human brain actually is driven by bliss, which is in our frontal cortex. Mm-hmm. So it's not fear that drives human beings, it's bliss and love that drives human beings. Again, back to my point about the abundance economy. Mm-hmm. And so I even, so in that moment when I was trying to make my point, about the part of the brain that we should be focusing on. I said, you know, I'm actually a little bit split here because I could also go the side of the divine feminine being ignored, right? Mm -hmm. And I said, but let's not get too woo-woo because really in the real world, we need to have our masculine and feminine energies aligned. And that's where the real issue is, which just takes us back to the way all humans are created. And that's with the bliss running the show. There does need to be a, a woo lasso because once you get to the metaphysical, I, I believe that our tendency is to use that as a cop-out, mm. meaning it may well be true about this molecule in my brain or whatever, but for all we know about the physical and the daily, it's practically metaphysical. Like yeah. having a basic discussion is itself metaphysical in terms of our distance from it before we even get to like, What's causing this or that and the other? No. I think of it even as looking at just a, a chair or something. When someone tells you you're looking at more empty space right now than you are things, just because of the composition of atoms and whatever, then okay, that's the physical being absolutely metaphysical. <laughs> you know, even though people look at me and say, I see more empty space. I I've heard that before. I don't know how to take that. <laughs> But um, <laughs> I, I totally believe if we just got the, and it's, it's affecting the, the foundations of how we deal as humans. I, I'm, I'm on to the uh, Financial Times on a regular basis, not because I visited London one time and now say the word, I've been on holiday. No, you've been on vacation. One, one week, it was vacation. My friends come back here to New York. Where were you? I was on holiday. No, you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> Were you on Christmas? Were yeah. you doing <laughs> what? What are you doing? Yeah. Which one? <laughs> Which one? I, I love St. Patrick's Day. Or what? <laughs> You've never been gobsmacked by it. What? You were in the UK? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're not, not knackered. You're not. You're just not knackered. You're just tired. But I look at how it's affected the foundations. And so I, I pick this paper up because it looks like. It's not a commercial. It's been so hard for media not to fall down the rabbit hole. So all of our American media, they've had to choose sides even more than they chose sides before. 
Mm. I'll give you a case in point, no matter what you believe. When you see the word fact check, what do you, what does that mean? They probably One, were interviewing Trump and they, need, <laughs> they needed to. <laughs> exactly. And then they had to go to Mother Jones <laughs> or Trevor so, Noah. And, and so look at this. Now the word fact check automatically means somebody's lying. Well, I would have. You're 180 yeah. degrees away from fact check to conclusion. And so. Or also be the piece of what was our expectation of journalism. So I think this is, you know, in terms of yellow journalism, back to, you know, when you're in UK, because that's, of course, where it originated. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> But it, it is that piece of what are those expectations around what is good journalism? I mean, the times of Walter Conkright, et cetera, where we felt like we could trust, you know, more in terms of what, what the, the news outlets were. Uh, you know, Murdoch and co, there, there has, you know, news has become entertainment, which has also led to, unfortunately, the situation where it is that challenge to say, how are we checking the facts. We aren't just immediately tweeting what we believe to be true or could be true. Um, these half sentences get all of a sudden put into the world. And even if it wasn't the intention, it wasn't even an opinion in terms of how I think it could have been construed, all of a sudden so quickly it's out there so that the, the topic of fact check is for, for people's perhaps their own protection as to, you know, how is this really factually meant, you know, like, okay, what were the researchers? Where, you know, what's the molecules? What are, what, what is, what was the, exactly, what's the methodology? You know, would this have even passed your eighth grade class? Or would you have not, <laughs> you would have gotten an F <laughs> on your test for, you know, like plagiarism or not even doing simple fact checks? And, that, and that's how serious it is because mm -hmm. on one hand, yeah, we, can, we can posit it like that, but this is mm. not eighth grade class. These are major newspapers. And I say, well, yeah. you have more credibility, even if, no matter who's up. And I'm not talking mm -hmm. Trump, even though that's the consequence of our time. Whenever mm -hmm. you talk, people think you're, it's a proxy for Trump. But I say, well, put anyone there. Once we tear the tread off the word fact check, you know, uh, how long is it going to take us to recover that when we really want to do a fact check? <laughs> you know, it could mm -hmm. be, thanks to your point, Gary, you could just, you, uh, I saw, and your nodding point, yeah, maybe you start getting closer to methodology. There was one mm -hmm. poll called the USC Dornsife poll out of uh, <clears throat> uh, USC, <laughs> the, from the Department of Redundancy Department. Um, they're the one uh, poll that predicted a Trump victory. They did it on the basis of intensity of voters uh, intentions, something that wasn't measured in other mm -hmm. polls. And they were the only uh, survey that freed up all of the data. It was open data available to everyone. So the data and the methodology were there. Do you know these scientists, another word that's lost, altered science, follow the science. Well, the first iteration of evolution was I came from a frog, then it was monkey. Then it was like, what science do you want me to follow? And so the, the, um, the USC Dornsife poll published that it looks like he's going to win this. And they got major heat from scientists as well. And all that they could do is say, no, but that's my, that's, there's a data right there. That's, this is how we did it. Let's back up to our first point here. You, you just need some reasonable interlocutors to say, well, either you missed something or, well, that guy that just disappoints, you know, <laughs> 
but you can't oh. look at when they give you the whole peanut butter sandwich and not say that there's not peanut butter here, jelly here, and white bread. Like you tell me what's different. Like, you know. But I think that's one of the biggest problems is this professional culture clash around, you know, we don't, you know, what is the Oracle method? The Oracle method is you have a mixture of different people with different backgrounds, you know, doing extreme teaming around some particular subject. Their professional expertise is outside, you know, is diverse. It's from all different areas exactly to avoid that, that those kind of blinders that we put in. You know, I'm a psychologist, therefore I, I don't like any psychiatrists. You know, there's these, these weird kind of, you know, here I'm in this in group and therefore that in other group doesn't have the same validity to, in terms of what they're saying. And there becomes a real barrier, in my opinion, to looking at what we have at the, uh, as the methodology as to how did we get the data and what are the conclusions that we're drawing from this data and using a qualitative method and hermeneutic to to say how could we take this same thing and look at it through a different perspective and different lens and how can that actually help us gain further insight didn't your field also like at the beginning of the election you had people offering opinions and there was a big split they say well unless this person is in my care and we're sharing private information i can't reach out and make public diagnoses but these also appeared even in editorials and you just go mm -hmm. wow we're so far down to here's yeah. the here are the professional ethics but i'm willing to make an exception in this case i'm not saying you can't make an exception but you have to realize okay where are you going with this now that the next group that may not agree with you deploys the same methods and so i'm mm -hmm. totally freed up i love that i love mm -hmm. that Trump was elected and people say what i said no 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 because it frees me from talking about politics because everybody's <laughs> everybody's plainly in the rabbit hole i only spend the whole time saying yep i hear the anger i feel the fire <sighs> i feel it so i'm just wondering is two and two four and they're like Argh! i said yeah two two is that is that four yet <laughs> it, four equals two plus when we finally get down to discussion and that and go back to the beginning it would be my fault if i talked to the portland mom she starts off with insult to my intelligence if i were to take off right from there back mm -hmm. to insult then yeah number one i defeat my own point yeah of trying to have a discussion but two we just lose everything yeah so yes. i'm quite serious i don't deal in people's politics because it's been about 10 out of 10 where emotion is the main thing we're dealing with well and i think it's that's that piece of rigid response of threat i think we can't ignore that i think where and that's why you know when we look at stages of the grief how do how do you you know go through them before you can actually get to that point of acceptance and say okay and then how do we go from a state situation to an action oriented that we can actually do something with it and and emotions need motions and the rigid response are are the things that aren't helping us because like cordelia said you know here when we go into when we're in that state of flow when we're in that creativity when we are having um, fun and bouncing off each other's idea when we're constructively collaborating that's when the best innovation happens that's what we're trying to get at when we're looking at good teams um, but when people are worried about how am i protecting you know how am i exposing my my opinions etc for for censor will is this a brave psychological space for me to be in it's it is really about that p that element of do i feel like my voice 
has a place. Do I feel like I can say, I believe I can fish in this pond and I'm going to get something out of that even if you tell me I can't. And that's a huge leap in security and confidence in your own abilities to be able to do that. And I think with this kind of attack culture, I think the cancel culture is not helping at all. It's this, this, this weird kind of intolerance for any sort of in perceived intolerance to say, how are we actually moving, accepting the fear-based reactions, and then like, like Cordelia said, going towards the bliss. What, how can we co-create? How can we envision a better future? We created what has been. But, that, but we can also create what will be and how can we reimagine a better future together and go into that space. And that's where the power happens. That's where the fun happens. That's where the metaphysical pieces of thriving, not only just surviving, that's where the fun is. And that's why, you know, since we haven't been really um, taught that coping mechanism and how mm -hmm. to deal with our emotions that's when that conversation has to happen between mm -hmm. your inner and outer self so to mm -hmm. bring dr seuss back again <laughs> love it love it love it sam i am is the mm -hmm. same person right and green eggs and ham it's his outer self talking to his inner self remember there's this like sam i am is so happy and he's like oh you know you got to do this can you do it with the mouse can you do it in the house with, you know, and mm -hmm. so, but when we grow up, we're all grumpy and we're no and rigid, right? But your inner self is still, um, is still that, that small voice, that little kid, right? And so if we allow that conversation mm -hmm. to happen and just try the green eggs and ham, what happened mm -hmm. to guy I am at the end? Mm -hmm. He was like, oh yes, I love green eggs and ham. I'll have them with a fox in a box, on a train, on a plane, and all the places. And in fact, he wants to give it to everybody, right? So we have to look at ourselves. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, that introspective, like, mm -hmm. um, in the moment, that filter has got to be, is this even true, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do I believe that? Do mm -hmm. I believe the hype? Do I believe what's been expected and accepted of myself mm -hmm. my entire life? And now mm -hmm. what's generally expected and accepted and is there a cause to grieve or is there a cause to celebrate? Like, yeah. thank God, finally I can say, look, I just think this whole thing is stupid. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, Why in the world are we still doing this? <laughs> exactly. I'm ticking your box there. That box is well and truly ticked, Cordelia. Yeah. Do you know something? What's really interesting about it? It's lovely hearing like Eric, you all exploring like the truth bit. Because I think what's interesting is there is no object truth. Like we've all got a, pers mm -hmm. a perspective, we've all got an opinion, we've all got an experience, but mm -hmm. is there actually a truth? There's no one objective truth. There's just fragments of experience, I would have thought. So is it not important to understand what one another's version of truth is so that we can actually heal? Because as long as we think our version of truth is the truth, we sort of, we can be shut down to understanding or listening to what other people's mm -hmm. experiences. And I don't know if that makes any sense mm -hmm. at all, or if you challenge that, or you'd add to that. That's what came up to me when we're talking about truth. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense, and be mm -hmm. exactly because in this dispensation of just being plain old humans, I don't mm -hmm. have the truth, but I do believe there is an objective truth, the same way I don't own the two and two is four, but that truth you're talking about, it resides outside of us. 
And so all opinions are not equal, all truth. And so that, that and by that uh, rationale, you should just engage in debate because the only thing, mm -hmm. if, if the debate is reasonable, then eventually it, there, there will be a clear pointing to truth. And the problem we have is when one person who owns the reason that points to it then tries to claim the truth as his or her own, well, it didn't belong to you in the first place. And I appreciate your point, Liz, before with um, actually slowing down and challenging these things. I, I practiced this mm -hmm. just the other, uh, the other month as if that's a day. So I spoke to a landlord and I said, well, since you don't like black people and his eyes got big, I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm really not being funny. I'm not even mad at you, but I heard you when you said, you know, I want me el olor de ese negro. You know, I want los negros para nada. Mm. I can't stand even the smell mm. inward black people. And so, I, but no, it's, I, I just, you know, you, you can detach yourself. Mm. Trust me. I don't, you know, mm. you live it, you don't detach when people yep. mark you in any particular way. Yep. But if he wants to own that, we want to have discussion, then you're not really surprised if it's really what you believe. You should be able to stand flat-footed and say, yeah, I really don't. You heard correctly. Yeah. But he didn't. And, and so it's, he just like got quiet. And so that's when you know the emotion is a form of avoiding too. Because people throw the word, I hate the word yep. racism because it's another one that's lost tread. Mm. Especially when people are speaking on behalf of others. That mm -hmm. guy's a racist. I said, well, a racist would be someone who could stand there, look you squarely in the face and say, yes, because you're from Bournemouth and you look mm. like you do. You look exactly like you do. I'm aware of the striped shirt. And I hate that. I hate you in it. I hate everything. That was Dave Chappelle. I hate, I hate all the trees behind you. I hate it. And I'm fully cutting it. That takes a real, with that, mm -hmm. breath. that person who's mm -hmm. able to do that, they do exist. We call them psychopaths in a way because there is the objective truth of humanity. But it's not that it's not conscious and well thought. I mean, those are the guys that write manifestos. And so you want, you want to. Not the agile ones, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You want to engage carefully mm -hmm. into a real one. So I see everyone just casually throwing the word around when they haven't felt it in someone's eye. Not the word. Uh, There's a football coach here who just mm. used the word uh, academically and in, in his team meeting at Texas Christian University, you know, a major uh, American football team. And the whole team walked out of the meeting. They said, but he didn't call anyone that. He just used the word with the hard capital R on the end of it. And so, and it, it throws people. And, and yeah. I don't think we should, we should get rid of these words. You should be able to use context, but you, that's one thing, but you also use judgment. Mm -hmm. You're a leader. And they say, well, you can't fire the man. He's not a racist. I said, well, if the university chose to do so, they would perhaps be uh, right in doing that, even though he did not insult directly because Take football. Mm. If you're a defensive back, the guy charged with covering a wide receiver, I slip and fall on a wet field, my guy scores a touchdown. Or I totally blow my coverage, I forget what I'm supposed to do, my guy scores a touchdown. The end result is the same. The university has just had a touchdown scored against it because of you. And so the consequence can't be mitigated, not with an apology, 
you just have to go say, okay, he slipped on this play. Let me look at his record. Let me look at his person and say, okay, we'll keep him on, keep him on the team. I don't, I don't know what should happen to that particular coach, but yeah, the word came out. Let's everybody calm down and, and go ahead, coach. You have the floor, <laughs> you know, keep, keep talking. To that point, for me, it also is this piece of, you know, how are we having actually respectful conversations to be able to say, hey, you know, I overheard this, you know, or how are we going to deal with this? This is, this is an issue, you know, and to say, how are we having respectful conversations? And I think it, it's very hard um, to have conversations where it, is about the actual thing that people are saying. Um, I think people right now, on the one hand, have become so horrid, just absolutely horrible, and in their freedom to be absolutely despicable towards other people in terms of complete disrespect. Um, and then on the other hand, if you are, you know, positively liberal, you get, you know, uh, I'll just it like that you get threatened with your job and it's this for me it's it's absolutely strange that we go oftentimes with these mottos every child every day every future but we don't understand what that means that means everybody that means how are we having respect for all the children all the different nuances that we have and we as educators we have to be there for them because these are this is the plurality that is the beauty within our our, our world. And if we're not having real conversations and calling out that, hey, you saying that you hate all people of a particular race, I mean, I get it differently. But I do understand, you know, in terms of, you know, right now, I'm in Germany being lumped together with all of the horrible Americans, I'm having to defend what it is to be an American. Is it easy? No. But do I understand where it's coming from? Yeah. Do I go into conversations if the person's respectful and actually wanting to understand a different perspective? 100%. Because if we don't entertain, I hate that word, but if we don't go into the real respectful conversations, how's the other person supposed to help grow? And how do you get them there? Yeah. When, how do you get them there in your conversations with people there? Because I know there is emotional and, mm -hmm. and blanket judgmental, like you said, the enter. But how, do you, yeah. how have you brought people into that closer uh. space? So I show the plurality that they have in their own, you know, I go into the plurality that they have in their own town, in their own classroom, in terms of just like, okay, or their own family. It's like, okay, who has this political view in your family? Who has the other one? Do you guys still get together for Thanksgiving? You know, and how do you deal with that to say, hey, that's, that's part of the web we weave as different people. We're allowed to have different opinions for sure, but absolutely negating someone's, um, being or justification for them being a human that's just horrid you know yeah. and and that's just not you know that's that is i don't know it's my rights are going to be taken away by something else so i need someone to blame rather than dealing with my own inner fear as to why do i feel a perceived threat for something that really isn't there so this is the deal with institutionalized racism, right? So the mm. teachers that can't teach the black kids in the class, mm. it, it is their fault, right? Because mm -hmm. it has actually been written into the laws for years, right? For years. And so they, they can, you know, while they have plastered on the wall, 
<clears throat> you know, uh, leave no child be behind, right? Well, except for the black one, because the laws in America never applied to black people because we were never people, even though, which amendment was it? Was it the 15th amendment said that we were actual people? Yeah. Well, <laughs> right? So yeah. it took three amendments to allow us to allow the men, the black men, the men to vote, <laughs> right? The black yeah, men could, <laughs> right. So like the black men could vote and the mm -hmm. black men could have um, land, um, but they, but there, there's a big but, unless they committed a crime and therein lies the institutionalized part of racism you are because right. they, yep. they have this whole media campaign mm -hmm. that, that uh, basically defames black men, right? Mm -hmm. So black men are criminals and we're gonna prove it in all the different ways that a human being can be, a, be criminalized. Yep. And we're going to just slide that under the radar. It's going to be in our movies. It's going to be in the songs. It's going to be in the cartoons, right? Yeah. Yeah. And all the things that we've been, we started this conversation mm -hmm. talking about. And, you know, even the fact that I was in this conversation last week talking about the racial divide and we started the conversation and I was like, yeah, I was the black person in the room. Mm -hmm. And there were these two uh, white men that were maybe a generation or two ahead of me. And they were like, uh, Hamada, Hamada, Hamada. Like, how do we start this conversation with one of the niggers in the room? You know what I mean? So, oh, um, no, he didn't say that, but I could no, but see. The sense. <laughs> exactly, because you, like, like Eric I know what said, that you looks get like. that in the eyes. You know what that looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but eventually when I was deemed as an okay black person, right? Because I have a friend who's black and they're not like that. Let's see if we, if we can warm up to her and see if she's all right because she has one of those rags on her head too, you know? So, um, but when they saw, oh, you know, she talks less, like us, she walks like us and she says cool things that we say, this is gonna be all right. Yeah, and then he pulled mm. out that lizard brain shit, and I, I'm excuse oh, my man. French. No, I was good. like, yeah, "Dude, yeah. uh, uh, we're not going there. Don't bring that. This is yeah, like some 120 year old, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. mm -mm. yep, yep." So. No. There are ways you pull people off the ledge, and Liz is the way. I mean, don't get me wrong, Cordelia. Cordelia, sometimes it does come straight to the chest when I just have to say. I don't make light or sport or word games or any of this. But when you have the chance to talk to people mm -hmm. in Germany, for example, when you show them the plurality, I might ask, well, how old is Germany? No, it's only as old as that wall coming down. <laughs> the United States is 56 years old. If you define a democracy by everyone having full access to the franchise, Spain is as old as, well, uh, 1985, Franco. And so, and, and in Germany, I might say, oh, tell me about all those Turkish cabinet ministers. Or in France, some of my friends say, you guys have such racism in the United States. I say, yeah, and all those Algerian born. <laughs> it's you know, so true. It's, it's that happen. piece of in-group versus out-group and which one do you yeah. ostracize? Yeah. yeah. And we yeah. get straight to that. Mm -hmm. that it's um, so important. That the assumptions and look what they all have in common. Mm -hmm. Just, I picture a, um, an axis with conflict here, distance here if i have a drone that can do damage 
oh, people just type and do all kind of damage. If I'm standing face to face, there are many less fist fights. And so mm-hmm. what does the internet gives us? It gives us pure distance. And so people just cut mm-hmm. loose. There's no cutting. I, I hear conversations. I sit in a cigar shop. I would be out there right now smoking. But the conversations are much more respectful when the mm-hmm. guy's sitting right in front of you. Absolutely. Even heated, but still respectful. They don't cross the lines. They cross. And so I always think about that with any media and any communications. There's a direct fun- function of distance and conflict. Yeah. So down to the language, I say, okay, let me just get closer. I'm going to let you get your emotion out. Two and two is four. Let's argue about that. Keep getting it out. I'm going to keep getting closer. And at some point, you're going to calm down. You know, so I try to reconcile it that way. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you would say that. Heineken, a couple of years ago, they tried to take um, completely polar opposite groups um, and individuals. And then they would be given a task. They would meet up. They didn't know that the other person had a completely different opinion about, you know, I don't know, gay rights, et cetera. So they tried to take really extreme opinions and then they would come together and they would be given a task. They had to build a bar. And once they built a bar together, then they could share a beer beer together. So it'd take them like about two, two hours, two to three hours to build this bar. And during that time, there would be rapport building, et cetera. And so it would, um, and then it was then the social experiment to say, okay, how did this work out? And then they would, at the very end, expose that they had two completely opposing views. And how can they reconcile the camaraderie and the sharing of beer together? And how can that, that be symbolic of sitting down, breaking bread, and having real conversations rather than being so divisive about one particular aspect? and say, hey, how can we actually move forward by actually trying to understand the other person's point of view? And and that proximity is everything. You remind me Mm -hmm. of a a book I found crawling in the 12th netherworld of the stacks at Texas A&M by Louis Yablonsky. He was a a premier researcher on Mm -hmm. gangs about Mm -hmm. 40 years ago, I believe. And I didn't read the book. Uh, Let me not play smart. But I turned to one page that jumped out at me. It Mm -hmm. said, he and he's not making theory he studied gangs in chicago and he he said there are very few prejudices that survive close that that survive mm-hmm. the crucible of close contact that's <laughs> yeah yeah the crucible of close contact that's seen hadn't thought of it since <laughs> yeah yeah so this is so cool like i, I don't know this is brilliant like you've just designed a whole new format for these chat G3 I tell you it's brilliant it's, <laughs> it's co-creation it is well co-creation. yeah it's, yeah but do you know what I'm loving about like the common theme for me though is, uh, through mm-hmm. this exploration is that I love this thing about proximity Eric I think mm-hmm. that's really powerful because people talk about mm-hmm. being in the arena you know mm-hmm. having the co- difficult conversations like you really can't do that well unless you are close in proximity yeah like and I just, that's really coming up powerfully for me actually how can you have really meaningful difficult challenging but productive conversations if you're so far apart like that's really coming up strongly for me that's brilliant i know my mind thinks in analogies but we to make it easy for me that's mm-hmm. the most violent sport people think you know uh ufc fighting you know valetudo anything goes and even boxing there's intense disagreement, but they're right there. There are rules. They engage mm-hmm. on 
principle, nobody quits, nobody just starts calling names. <laughs> you're, you're, that we have examples of that proximity and being able to, to work something out, you know, even, even when it has to come to that. And then look at when they, even when they leave the ring, they don't, most of them don't leave as enemies, you know. And even yeah. when they're fighting, they, they can't get emotional because it takes the skill out of your game. Yeah, and it's respect for us. Yeah. It's the respect for the person that you're fighting against. It's interesting. Well, so, like yeah, exactly. When I was doing, I did my thesis in Brazil on, um, you know, it was a Brazilian German work team. We were trying to establish a technology transfer in Brazil. And what really, the first thing I noticed is like, you could never talk about business. You could never talk about anything until I figured out where we were close you know, were we interested in the same sports team? Did, you know, did our parents come from the similar region? There was, you know, until we found something like you, there was no way, there was no way you could go into a business discussion. And it was this piece of, we have to create warmth and connection before we can actually go into that other space, because that other space is not as important as me connecting with you as a human being first. And it's finding that proximity. Ooh, that's why I love Marina Silva. Mm. She mm -hmm. was able to connect through the racism. She didn't mm -hmm. hesitate to speak it. She just spoke it plainly. Got mm -hmm. 20 million votes the first time. She ran, mm -hmm. almost did that thing. But even her ideas on sustainability is like, no, not let's not just plant a green tree. When we're talking finance, mm -hmm. education, housing, whatever, there has to be this thing running throughout. I've got to get close to every single department for mm -hmm. this thing to work as a goal. I'm not the green tree lady. That's her. And I haven't heard anyone bringing sustainability at that level with such mm -hmm. clarity. As, mm -hmm. Well, there's Saskia Sassen at Columbia who speaks of you have to read dead, dead land and dead, dead water as opposed to climate change. But mm -hmm. Marina Silva, and then she connects in that, that way, and I'll leave it right here because I can mm -hmm. go on forever about her. She talks about growing up illiterate until 16 years old no food. One day, her uh, parents, they come to find something for the kids to eat. And so you know the deal. They put the food on the table, the kids eat, and she says, we'll say, it's no uncle, man. And mm -hmm. the parents say, no, it's not, it's going for me. Mommy and daddy, aren't you going to eat? No, baby, we're not hungry. Mm. That strength yeah. <laughs> is how yeah. that connects to, yeah. that brought her so close to people mm -hmm. beyond black, white, and whatever, mm -hmm. and Brazil. They realize I get it. Yeah. Now, now I'm a PhD. I do this, but it's not so hard for people to navigate that space between being intellectual and coming from broke and whatever. It's always a, a, a real, especially in the United States, they put it up as some kind of dichotomy. Look where he came from. I'm like, boy, I left Texas speaking three languages with people who never traveled. Mm hmm go to yeah. cheek vexes and my grandmother would say mm -hmm. well maybe we travel with books <laughs> there are these books they have languages in them yeah leave texas they don't yeah. New york they, they look down and see if i have shoes on when i say i'm from texas still yeah you can see in the meeting they go oh eric it's your your turn yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. i usually oh, just right. mess up meetings <laughs> <laughs> that's what you got to do. That's when the, but, but I love it. But it's, 
But okay, now this has to take me back to, you know, there's been this theory that it has always been the competitor who won in terms of evolution, you know, in terms of how do I eke out the other, which is absolutely wrong. Collaboration is is yeah. is how we evolved. And this yeah. whole Gordon Gecko, Wall Street, um, dog eats dog world has been so bad for how we understand how important it is to how are we connecting, how are we standing up for one another, how are we helping and supporting one another. And on the other part piece of that, how are we asking for support? Because I think oftentimes that's also um, harder than, than, than offering our own support to others is actually asking for it. For Receiving is a human challenge, it is. Yeah, very well said. And look at the pyramids. They weren't built with slave labor. That's documented by historians. The cathedrals were. Yes. And so it's sitting right in front of you as an object yep. of collaboration because yep. all of them weren't engineers. And so you have stones oh. that are when within one one thousandth of an inch in precision, which means it's yep. not a it's not a mechanical feat as much as is it a collaborative and communications feat. Because you yep. had uneducated yep. educated people, you had to translate the engineer's idea to build something that some guys said, man, they won't be able to figure this out in 2020. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the reason we can't figure it out is not the math. It's because, and, and there's another guy who's, um, oh, he's a, a, a brilliant doggone guy on this quest right now. He's talking about what's hindering science is, I, I'm scared you're going to use my research and take the credit. And so you're not able to collaborate. There's yeah. real mm -hmm. risk. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The, the and Scarcity, so yep. Media reports. Was, yeah, they say there was this study, but mm. this study means nothing unless I put it in this scatter plot with 3,000 of them, and then we can together figure out, oh, wow, mm -hmm. there, there's this, but then there we go with science again. This study yep. said, you know, yep. It's amazing, but the pyramid's right in front of us. Whenever someone starts getting scientific on me, I'm like, oh, that's beautiful. Where's your pyramid? Show, show mm -hmm. me the Show me that one that you built. It's standing right there. Just go, you know, reverse engineer that thing. And it's got to be more of a communications feat than it is an engineering feat. Well, and I think that one of the beautiful things about it is like open innovation, like Wikipedia, you know, and these are the things that are so incredible is, is people will collaborate and will do these, you know, um, they will create uh, pyramids but it is that piece of how are we having that perspective that not only private industry is where innovation comes from. Wow, yeah, it's everyone. And that's another yeah. one with um, uh, the book called The Difference by, what's his name? Dalgone, University, University of Michigan professor. And talking about diversity in the sense of I, I could get 10 people who went to the same school in a room to solve a problem to the same background or whatever and I would have less and, and it's not theory these are you know mm. blind placebo controlled whole nine and uh, you have a greater range of solutions when you have the proper kind of diversity in the room but just so mm -hmm. people don't think I'm going woo woo you can achieve higher results without diversity and that happens when when the team rebels against that diversity and so it's like, we could have 10, but I'm going to be good with five because I don't want Cordelia on the team. 
And so oh, I do. Pete, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. look, we, look, let, let's just let him know, Liz, right? Because the yeah. video that you missed, we yeah. had to do this with both with both of you missing. We were going to have the hue without the man. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. We are all about the hues. But we are. But we are the world. You are me. <laughs> <laughs> I look I look at that 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 mess that people are willing to forego and then mm -hmm. you hear people say, Oh, there's no discrimination because it's all about money. People there when when something has to be done, mm -hmm. you get the most talented people on a team. And I say, Well, was it about money in nineteen fifty when the lunch counters made the same calculation? Mm -hmm. I can forego this fifty cents not to have the black person sitting here and have my business, which won't make $10 a month, it'll make five, but guess what? I'm good with that, which means even today, race and whatever isms you want to put on them, mm. they are economic goods. And I hate that mm -hmm. people on both sides don't recognize that. Their friends yeah. don't recognize it. They say, let's eradicate racism. I'm like, you're not going to ever eradicate a single economic good in mankind. <laughs> but if you recognize it as such, that there are some teams who know no, we're not diverse. We won't have women. We won't have a woman with a thing on her head. We won't have anybody from Portland, mm -hmm. sure. You know, they're, they're, and and I'm cool with that. There are there's that consciousness. Mm -hmm. It is true. Yeah. To admit, and so that's why I said to my landlord straight up, I said, "Look, I'm not even mad at you. It's not a fantastical thing that you don't like black people. I've seen it on television. <laughs> so it's like, let's just figure out what you're going to do with my security deposit." Eric, if I may ask, though, from your point of view, as we look to wrap up this this amazing exploration, let's be honest, like, how, how do you feel, like, in that moment, as you're talking to that landlord, I'm really curious, like, mm. is there, what, is there any emotion coursing through your vein? Are you really that present? Because you're sort of used to that experience? You know, what's going on for you inside as you have that conversation with the landlord? Well, I put it in the same context as having any conversation like if I'm sitting in the cigar shop like Eric be ready to whatever you say there's consequence and so it's always I'm going to control that when I when I know I'm entering into a potential conflict mm. situation and so that control keeps us both controlled but I'm I'm ready and so you say how do I feel oh my heart was beating I hope it wasn't beating through my mouth because I'm trying to sound real calm I said no you don't so let's just mark mm -hmm. that tell me what you're going to do with the security deposit and then he totally doesn't deal with the, that. And I'm not bringing up as a, hey, you're racist. I'm saying, I know this is a context mm -hmm. for things that have been going on here. And mm -hmm. that's the exact same way I'm trying to practice. I don't have it down. I'm trying to practice when you go into meetings. And you remind me of something, Liz, when you, when you mm -hmm. and Cordelia, when you, you hit them right here squarely in two different ways. And, but you know what you're doing. I call that setting a controlled fire. Because we got we mm -hmm. got to light it up, you know. Mm -hmm. It's going to be lit up. Mm -hmm. It's not easy, but I want to set it like it's a controlled burn where we both agree, we know we're going to have to burn that. Mm -hmm. So how do we get there? There's no way around setting the fire mm -hmm. for where we are right now. And so I just don't want it to happen in a way that both of us just all of a sudden find the whole place in flames, not knowing that we did that, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I have to so agree, with Eric. Yeah. When whenever yeah. I'm in those situations, it's yes, for sure, my heart's beating out of my chest. But that's how I know that I have to speak up, mm -hmm. right? It's the, a lot courage. of yeah. right. A lot of people are like, when you get angry, you know, how do you communicate? It's like when I get angry, that's what I know I need to communicate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Someone has just knocked up against my values. Hello. Can I just tell you something? You know, my language changes, my tone of voice changes, my choice of words changes. Have you noticed that? So, you know, um, this is, uh, this is leaning into the emotion to, mm-hmm. to, to uh, stand up for your values and what you believe in. So that's when you know that you have to open your mouth and all these um, contrite sayings and maybe all those private conversations that we black people have when mm-hmm. you white people are not around, you kind of mm-hmm. have to say those things to those people in those situations and say, oh, Absolutely. by the way, you know, yeah. Yeah. Hugely so. It takes a lot of courage, and it's so important. What's on your mind, my friend Liz, as we look to uh, bring this wonderful exploration to a close? Because I really would love those people that listen to our uh, wanderings to be able to know how to contact you. So anything else on your mind as we we disappear this evening? There's a lot of things on my mind. I think, you know, here's this piece around civil courage. How do we stick up for others would be the other thing that comes into my head. You know, how are we, you know, helping others and being there for them and where they may be still scared in their own space. Um, So that's what I'm going to be chewing on a little bit more. Yeah. How about about you, Eric? Anything else different come up to you through this? Anything else on your mind as you go into your evening? I'm going to pick up that baton right there. When you say stick Mm -hmm. up for others, like I can argue for black all day long, but it's less Mm -hmm. powerful. Uh, I mean, you have to fight for yourself first, but Mm -hmm. it's less powerful than when you show up asymmetrically. If people didn't know that any one of these other three people on the call would just show up when they heard something was happening with Eric, or it would really chase in behavior. And Mm -hmm. so that's the problem I see and an opportunity, which is, with Black Lives Matter or whatever, I'm like, you should go to the Native Americans. Mm-hmm. They're more likely to be killed in police custody than anybody. Yeah, it's right? overwhelming percentage. Yeah. No one speaks of that. You should go to Appalachia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You should go to Eastern Kentucky where there's not running water for some people. You should go to Tennessee. You should come to Texas. Like when you build a kind of coalition based on that proximity, then yeah, you're going to fight for yourself. But if I'm fighting for myself, if I hear somebody with my friend, that's what can move things forward yeah that's beautiful cordelia anything else on your mind as you go into the evening i'll just pick up where eric left off and say that brings us full circle to the collaboration piece Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, if if we uh could survive alone there would not be seven point however many billions of people there are on the planet so we're the human race yeah yeah yep we're all cousins (laughs) (laughs) oh it's it's honestly thank you like we've never done this before just literally just gone let's hit record like it's been a fun start great exploration Mm -hmm. and i think there's something beautifully real about it you know and it's sort of really Mm. i've even felt myself at points going like hey this wasn't the script this is really cool like and i think there's a learning there for me as well like and our human nature like I think this is part of the challenge, yeah? Is how do we mm-hmm. go with these preconceived ideas? Or we've done mm-hmm. it that way even in the last four conversations. Like, mm-hmm. so it's been a beautiful disruption for me to go through this journey with you three to go, actually, like, if we want to have a chat or explore mm-hmm. and it feels like it's going that direction, let it be because that's where it needs to mm-hmm. go. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to learn yeah. from that in terms of the conversations we have going mm-hmm. forward as well. So thank you, three. It's been amazing. So let's find out how people thank can get you. hold of you 
Uh, Elizabeth, how can Elizabeth, Liz? Anyone of the nicknames uh, works. Um, so people can get a hold of me um, at best, probably per LinkedIn. So Elizabeth Lemke, which is a weird last name. So Elizabeth with a Z, um, and then Lemke is L-E-M-B-K-E. Wonderful. Hearing from you guys. Thanks very much, Liz. Cordelia, how can people find you? Um, I guess the best way is you can, I'm, I'm open to responding to emails, but if you're too afraid, right, my email is hello at cordeliagaffar.com. Um, hello. Nice. <laughs> nice I like friendly. it. I know. How cool is that, right? Yeah. Or, you know, if you're one of those like keyboard warriors, just go to cordeliagaffar.com and you can fill out the little pop up there. But yeah. Brilliant. Thanks, Cordelia. Uh, Eric, how, how can people find you, my friend? It's LinkedIn, Eric J. Henderson, but I, I know no one's going to go there before they Google you, so just put the J. <laughs> <It's>, that's awesome. <laughs> they, they try to keep it straight from you, know, they're, they're <laughs> So if you Google Eric J. Henderson, I'm the same guy there, you'll say, no, that's the one with that camera. That's It's the same guy. Yeah. I just try to have a little more sense on uh, LinkedIn in, in, in different lanes. There's no less sense in the other lane. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> now hard. you've called us all out they're gonna google us eric yeah <laughs> yeah it's true <laughs> hr improv you meet people they're like oh nice to meet you <laughs> i'm not a stalker i mean recruiting is what i like to say <laughs> what's the difference right? <laughs> <laughs> not a lot but on that note good evening everyone thanks for joining us really hoping that you enjoyed that exploration on the Value Through Vulnerability podcast. You can find out much more about HexoChange at hexochangenow.com. That's H-E-X-O-Change-Now, one word, dot com. You can subscribe to a weekly newsletter at that website, which includes information about live stream conversations, further service offerings, blogs, but also our in-person events, of which we have multiple each year. So I really hope that you'll join us. Do connect with me, Gary Turner, on LinkedIn, and I really hope to hear from you soon.